Luke 15, beginning at verse 11. I'll read verses 11 through 24. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything at all. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no, more, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to be merry. They celebrated. Helmut Tillichy, the German theologian, began his book, The Waiting Father, with these words. I once put my little boy down in front of a large mirror. At first, he didn't recognize himself. He was too young. He was fascinated by the movements in the mirror, but he didn't know it that he was looking at himself. But as he played, he began to recognize the similarity of motions. And all of a sudden, you could hear him saying to himself, Hey, that's me. Every time you read this parable, that's what you say. Oh, at first it may not really... Um, mean that much to you. It's just a fascinating story. It's the most famous story in the Bible. But as you read it, all of a sudden it begins to dawn on you and you say, it is I. But what is happening in this parable is not that which is to reveal the nature of man even though that's where the emphasis is always placed. What is here is not 
to show us what man is like, but what God is like. The theme of this parable is not the faithlessness of man, but the faithfulness of God. What's going on here is not showing us what we're like. What is man like? That's a big question. But the bigger question is, what is God like? G.A. Studert Kennedy was an English chaplain in World War I. He became known after three years in the trenches with those men as affectionately called Woodbine Willie. He's written many books and poems about his experience. He said, after three years in the trenches, I became convinced that the basic question of life, the one that mattered most to my men, was what was God like? He said, I was sent to France before I ever saw a trench or heard a gunfire. He said, I went to a, to a hospital to visit a wounded officer. And he said, the conversation immediately turned to religion. And the officer said, Padre, what is God like? It's never really mattered to me before. He said, I just took the world for granted. But now, he said, I'm aware that I'm a member of, the, of, of, the, of, of civilization. I have a duty to it, and I'd like to know what God is like. He said, every time I'm transferred to a new battalion, I want to meet the colonel. He's the boss of the outfit. Makes a lot of difference what he's like. He said, now, I'm a member of the battalion of humanity, and I want to know what the boss is like. Can you tell me, it's your business, what God is like? And Studer Kennedy said, after following these men three years in the mud and the blood, he said, I found that the question behind all their questions, even though it wasn't always framed the same way, was this. What is God like? What is the nature and the character of God? Well, that's what Jesus came to do, to show us God. He came to help us to help the unknowable to be known. He came to make the invisible visible. He came to show us God. And one night he and his disciples were sitting in this upper room and they were all anxious and concerned because Jesus had told them that he was going to leave them and they were anxious about that. I think they were thinking, if we made such a mess of things while he's here, what's it going to be like when he's gone? And one of them said to him, Jesus, if you'll just show us the Father, it'll be enough. If we just know what God is like, that'll be enough. And Jesus said, what have I been doing for three years? For in everything I've done and everything I've said, I've been telling you what God is like. And that's why he told the parable of the prodigal son. Now the Pharisees didn't like what they saw. I mean, this man came to show them God and he was doing things that they wouldn't do in a million years. I mean, look at what this man did. I mean, he ran around with traitors and hobnobbed with prostitutes, and he's telling us that God is like that? And Jesus looked at them and said, I mean, in the first of this parable, fellows, this is what's wrong with you. You really don't know what God is like. He's like a searching shepherd. He's like a, he's like a seeking woman. He's like a compassionate father. That's what God is like. And I'm convinced that if we understand and grasp what God is like, that there'll be no despair or dereliction, there'll be no despondency or defeat, just in knowing, just in grasping what God is like. And so the theme of this parable is the joy of a God who is like a loving Father. 
What's he like? He's a father who grieves with what grieves us. Now he just takes this parable and he paints a picture on it of the great heart of God. He shows us what he's like. He tells us that God feels every pain of the far country that boy felt. He tells us that God feels every hurt that boy felt. I want to ask you a question. Who do you think suffered the most in this story? Every sermon I hear tells about the suffering of the prodigal, the consequences or costs of sin, and, and sin does require a great price. It talks about in the far country had nothing to eat, in the, in the slavery and in the poverty of that he came to himself. We've all heard how he suffered, but who suffered the most? Let me ask the question another way. Who loved the most in the story? For only he who has a capacity to love has a capacity to sorrow. And the greater the capacity to love, the greater the capacity to sorrow. The answer is simple. The father, oh, how his heart broke. For his boy left. Now I can um, imagine the conversation went on a long time between that boy and his dad. I want you to just kind of listen in one night as they discussed in the den. And the discussion went like this. I want my liberty, Dad. I want to be free. I want you to know I'm sick and tired of all this thou shalts and thou shalt nots. And the father said, Son, do you really think that you're not free? I mean, after all, you're a, you're, you're, you're a son in my household. You can come to me anytime you want to. You can tell me anything and everything that hurts you. I mean, any boy would desire the privilege of that sonship. I give you your daily bread. I forgive all your trespasses. And when you come to me with your hurts, I bear them. And you have anything in my household. And you talk about not being free. And the boy flashes back and flares up and he says, that's exactly what I'm talking about. For me, I think freedom is doing what you want to do, where you want to do it, when you want to do it. And the father says quietly, and for me, freedom is being what you ought to be. For example, son, you ought not to be a slave to your ambitions or a, or a slave to your desires. And that's why I forbid so many things in your life. I want you to be free for sonship. I want you to enjoy your origin. I want you to be free to have all, after all, you're a king's son. Don't you know that it is love that's behind my bidding and my forbidding? But the son slams the door and he goes out. And I see him making his way. He cuts out. He splits. And the father stands on the porch and his heart breaks. Now, Ralph Cushman has written a little poem that kind of sets the feeling. I want you to, I want to see if I can say it and kind of get the feeling. Life is so strange. I lay, I lay awake last night. You ask me why, I don't know exactly why, except I lost my boy. I lost my pal who used to walk with me through the fields and with me jump the ponds and together with me climb the trees. And you wouldn't understand unless you too have lost your pal. You watched him as he grew, and you taught him all the secrets of the skies and all your hopes for him. Then one day you realize you've lost your boy. I lay awake last night. I lost my boy. You ask me how I lost him? That's the rub. 
I lost him just like my old dad lost me. There came a gal, and I need say no more, and yet the same. I lay awake last night. I lost my pal, and now I walk the fields alone. Alone I walk the woods beside the brooks, and everywhere I see old footprints, marks of him, but he is gone. And I think someday in the great beyond there might be another place where a father will find his pal. And yet I cannot understand exactly. Life is so strange. The man who wrote that was lonely. And you don't get too far in the Scripture until you run into the loneliness of God. Every parent knows that when his child leaves. Every parent knows the heartache when a, when a child goes away and sets his affection on something outside the home and finds his fulfillment and satisfaction of life in someone, some other companionship. And even in the natural unfoldings of life, as this poem describes, even in the normal development of life, it's hard to give up a kid. Two weeks ago last Sunday, we were out at the college and we were helping the new students take in their baggage, you know, helping them unload, saying a good word about the college and meeting the new students arriving on the campus. And this little car drove up. Must have been farm folks. They had a can of tomatoes in the car. I grabbed me some of them as I carried the kids' baggage in. A little young girl coming to the campus of Southeastern. She was so excited, found, found her friends, and she went upstairs. We took her baggage, helped her break, take her baggage in her room, came down to the, to, the, to the lobby of the dorm, and there she hugged her mother. Then she hugged her father. And he turned around, and he, <clears throat> he started to the car right quick, but as he turned around, I saw his eyes fill with tears. Could have been your dad. I imagine somewhere this morning there are parents who are identifying with what I'm saying. They're lonely. He went on out to the car and I turned to somebody who was standing there. I don't know whether it was Shelley or whoever it was. I said, I saw a tear in that dad's eye. And when you add, when you add what was in that prodigal, the, the, the willful estrangement of that son you get the greatest sorrow of all. You know, to bring a child up and, and, and see him become coarse and ugly, throw away his birthright like a fool. To dream the best for him and see him choose the worst. To long for companionship and get indifference. To crave affection and get ingratitude. Oh, that hurts. And it's the heartbreak of God. That, that, that his children would set their interest and, and, and find their plans on something outside of his love and will, it breaks his heart. And it's the most stupid statement of all when a man says, why my sin only hurts me, it breaks God's heart. And it's the dominant theme of the Scriptures. From the very first book where we hear him crying, Adam, where art you? To the last book of the scripture where we hear him saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
You'll find this eternal heartbreak of God that a man would seek his interest some, in some place outside of himself. And not only is it the sorrow of estrangement, it's the sorrow of impoverishment. The wide gap that exists between God's dream for us and what we've done with that dream. I mean, you just keep running into that in the Scripture. That so little has come of His expectations and investments. It infuriated the prophets. And it was a part of the pain of Calvary. And it amazed Jesus that man would would not avail himself of the love that God and the provisions that God had lavished upon them. And he was forever saying, you will not come to me that I might give you life. The eternal heartbreak of God. What is he like? He's like a father who grieves over what grieves us. Secondly, he's like a father who when we decide to come home, receives us just as we are. Now, the most amazing thing about this parable is this, un, this rehearsed speech that was undelivered, not delivered. I mean, now here's this boy. He made this great speech up to get out of the house, and he delivered that over and over again. Can you identify with that? But he was making him up a new speech in the far country. He was saying, what am I going to say? I've got to get out of here. I, I, this is terrible. I, I'm hungry. I'm, old, I'm lonesome. I'm impoverished. I'm starving, he said. Well, he said, maybe he said, well, I'll go back and I'll say to Dad, okay, you win. I, you, you're right. I'm eating crow. I'm tired of pods that the hogs eat. I'll eat crow. I'll eat anything. <laughs> You're right, I've matured in the far country. Okay, can I come back? He thought he might say that, but as he worked on his speech, this is what he said. This is what he did. He said, I'll go back and I'll lay no claim to my father. I'll just say to him, I'm not even worthy to be your son. Make me a hired servant. It's, it's interesting that he repented in the hog pen and he came home to confess. And the Bible says that when he was a great way off, now how did that father see him a great way off? I mean, he must have been gone for years. Well, the answer to that is easy also because he'd never taken his eye off the road down which his boy left. And every afternoon he must have scanned the horizon for one glimpse of his son. And somebody says that love is a bell that rings above the tinkling cymbals. And the love of this father was pealing in the far country. And so the son got up to come home. And the scripture says that the father ran and fell on his neck, almost smothered him to death with kisses, while the stench of the hog pen was still on the sun, while the rags of the far country were still his attire. His father fell on him. Now I'm glad his father didn't say, I told you so. I never go back to a person who says that to me for counsel. I mean, I told you so. You know, can, can, his father could have said, hey, 
If you'd have done what I told you to do, you'd have saved yourself a lot of misery and me a lot of worry. I knew it wasn't going to work out for you, but he didn't say that. The boy started his speech and the father interrupted. Isn't this exciting? The father interrupted and he said, get him a robe and put on his body. A robe stands for honor. And get him a ring and put on his finger for the ring stands for authority. And get him shoes and put on his feet for shoes stand for sonship. Sin always says, make me a servant, but love always says, this is my son. This is my son. Now even though the father accepted him back just as he was. He didn't let him stay that way. I'm glad. You know, we could say, well, I'll go off far country when I get back. God will take me back. But he never lets, he didn't let him stay like he was. He said he had to cover every mark of the far country. He said he has no honor in the far country anymore. Give him a robe. He needs honor. He had no authority in the far country. I mean, what authority does a a person feeding pigs have. He has no authority in the far country. Give him a ring. He has no sonship in the far country. He didn't even have friends there. Give him shoes. Cover up every mark of the far country. This boy cannot stay like he was any longer. That's what happened to me. Now I want to say parenthetically. Parenthetically means that I'm going to say something that didn't really affect the line of thought. Maybe it does a little bit. I want to say parenthetically. It's a, it's a great day, perhaps the greatest day of your life, when the miracle occurs in your heart that helps you discover what the Father can make you. A guy named Robert Chambers, a great English scientist, said the greatest day in his, of his life was the day he went up in the attic of his mother's house and found an old Encyclopedia Britannica. He said, until then, I didn't know there was such a thing as a galaxy or astronomy. He said, when I discovered that, he said, it was like opening the window of a prison. And through that window, I saw the world. Roland Hayes was a Negro, but he had a marvelous voice. He left Georgia and walked barefoot to Chattanooga, Tennessee, carrying his shoes in his hands. Didn't want to wear them out, just had one pair. When he got to Chattanooga, he went to church. A physician heard him singing in the church choir, took him home with him, played a phonograph of Melba and Caruso. First time he'd ever heard them sing. But Roland Hayes said, from that night I knew I was destined to something beyond my comprehension. It was like having a religious experience that night I was born again. It was like some call from a distant horizon. Somebody opened the door and I saw the faint form of the purpose of which my life now is. It was like a bell going off inside of me. And Horace Bushnell jumped out of his bed in the middle of the night one night and started running through the house like a madman screaming, I see it! I have found it! I have found the gospel! The greatest day of your life will be the day the miracle occurs in you when you discover that locked up inside of you is power and potential and God only has the key to unlock it. One last word. He's like a father who treats us 
like we've never been away. I mean, when we come home, He treats us like we never left. And you say, how does He do that? Well, He does it by giving us what we neither deserve nor expect. He said, I want to be a hired man. So I'll make, I, you're my son, man. He had no honor. He expected none. I mean, he lost his honor. He got honor. He had no authority. He sacrificed that. When he went into the hog pen, he got, he got, he got authority. And he certainly didn't expect to be a son any longer. He said, I'll ask him to make me a hired servant. He got sonship. God treated him. His father treated him. God treats us like we've never been away by giving us what we neither expect nor deserve. I deserve no sonship. I deserve no authority. I deserve no honor. I've been a little melancholy this week. <clears throat> a little uh, sentimental. You know, when school gets started back and all these guys coming back, and I, I just kind of get, I get full, really. I pray that God would not let me get emotional this morning, you know, and get teary. But I've been a little sentimental this week. I've been thinking how God, how good God has been to me. I'm just amazed at the goodness of God. I, want, I just want to testify to it. Born in a Christian home, my parents took me to church. I cut my teeth on a Baptist hymnal. Um, my parents loved me and they wanted me to do right. They sheltered me. God gave me a marvelous, a wonderful Christian wife. I've already told you how much she affected and profoundly influenced my life as a senior in high school. And three wonderful children, well two. You know, two out of three ain't bad. I'm not going to name them. I'm kidding. Three wonderful children. My, how I love them. How they've blessed my life. And I've had the privilege of pastoring the best churches. That's right. I've never pastored a church that, hadn't, that wasn't what God wanted just for me at that time. And I'm pastoring the best church I've ever pastored. And I mean that sincerely. I mean, God has been so good to me. Beyond my expectation or my deserve. I mean, the Bible says it, and I can testify to it, that God has not dealt with us according to our sin or rewarded us according to our iniquity. I thank God for that. You know what I found? I want everybody to turn to this. I'm this and I'm through. I found, I, th I think, what the parable needs to wind up with. It's found in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John. Everybody's turning. That's good. You're all awake. Well, everybody but two or three. Everybody's got a Bible, and we're turning to 1 John chapter 3. I want to show you something exciting. It begins like this. It says, verse, chapter 3, verse 1 starts out. And if you've got a King James... You might, uh, you know, it, it kind of has it a little bit better than New American Standard, really. King James has it, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Doesn't it? Behold what manner of love. Now the New American Standard has it, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. 
You ever done any people watching? I mean, they're interested, aren't they, watching people? My folks, as a kid, I, they, they'd go to town on Saturday afternoon, park the car on the street. I'd say, what are we doing this far? Well, we're just watching people. No television, you know. And, and, and they, you know, we'd go to the movie, and, and they'd sit in a car and just watch people. And, and, and everybody was doing that. I mean, they weren't weird. Everybody was doing that. Because people were, you know, people are interesting just to watch. You ever been in an airport and you've been a little in between times of your plane and you're waiting for your, your, your way out and you're just sitting there and you're just kind of looking at people come through? It's interesting. And you kind of start guessing, I wonder where he's from. You see an old boy in a tall 10-gallon hat and boots. That old boy from Texas. You see this old boy come through, you know, maybe in overalls. Yeah, he's, he's down there at uh, Arkansas, maybe, you know. <laughs> Sorry about that, Arkansas. I'm, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, Sometimes you see a guy and you think, I, you know, I don't wear that. I wonder where that person's from. I mean, it's kind of strange garb, strange dress. And you say, well, I wonder where he's from. I don't know where he's from. I wonder where he's from. You know, back in the day that this was written, they had professional watchers. It'd be people just sit on the docks and watching people get off the boats. It's a true story. And they just watch folks. They didn't have anything. It was a spit and whittle club, you know, down in Corinth, maybe. And they just watch folks get off boats. And they'd, and they'd, and they'd look. And I bet he's from, I bet he's from Athens. Yeah, I know where he's from. He's off the north coast of Africa. But occasionally, somebody'd get off a boat and he'd be dressed like they'd never seen. And they'd say, hey, hey, what? Hey, look. They'd use the word that John used here, Greek word, same word. They'd use a word that would say, from what country is that man? What country? Where did he come from? Now, John must have been a kind of a professional watcher. I mean, he'd seen love dressed in every kind of dress. He'd seen love dressed up in every kind of garb. But one day he looked and he saw the love of God. And he used that Greek word. Where did that come from? From what country did that come from? I mean, I've never seen anything like that before. Now, we live in a world where the word love is just thrown around. We say we love this and love that. I love you. You know, we, I love pizza and, and um, TV and the Cowboys. And I know the game starts at 12 and all those things. And we just kind of throw that word around, love. But when Christian love comes on the scene of human activity, we just kind of stand back in the awe of it. You can hear the awe that's in this word that John uses. You can just hear it there. Where did that love come from? Where is that love from? And you see the love of God and you say, Oh, I've never seen anything like that in all my life. The greatest profession that a Christian can ever engage in is just to stand around and observe the love of God. It's the greatest profession. And the amazing thing about that love of God is that and I, never, I, don't deserve, I don't deserve what God has done for me. There's not a thing, there's not a reason in here for God to love me like He does. Behold what manner of love. I've never seen anything like it. He treats us like we've never been away. Surely goodness and mercy 
shall follow me all the days of my life. And when I step across the threshold into that new land, He'll treat me as if I'd never left. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we thank you for the dynamic of your word and your presence, your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you've spoken to each of us to show us what God is like. A loving Father who grieves when we grieve, who when we decide to get up and come home, takes us back just as we are, treats us like we've never been away. God, don't let your love be lost or wasted today in this service. Make that love to be irresistible is my prayer in Jesus' name. Now in the spirit of prayer, look this way. There are three invitations this morning. All of them have to do with the love of God. The first invitation is for you to come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, to receive the gift that His love has purchased, the gift of eternal life. God loved you enough to send His Son. Christ loved you enough to die for you. And greater love hath no man than this, that laid out His life for His friend. Have you ever trusted Christ as your personal Savior? The second invitation is for you to come and give, your, give yourself and your ministry and your talent and your ability to this church while you're here. College students, don't wait till next month. If you feel like that you're loved and accepted here and there's something here where you can give ministry and encouragement and commitment to, come and join this morning. Maybe you'd like to just come with watch care. It means you don't have to change your denomination if you're from another church. You don't even have to change your membership. But you'll be a kind of an associate member and live with us and serve with us here. That's so important. Now, there are some adults here I see that could do that also today. This would be a good day to do that. There may be some of us this morning who have, who have betrayed God's love. The sin against love is the greatest sin. You'd like to come and say, Pastor, I'm sorry. I want to confess to you and to God that I've been a walked away from the Lord and walked away from His love, and I'm coming home. Let's do that today if God leads you to do it. Let's stand. Let's come as we sing our invitation.